From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Thank you for joining us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself, as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for today is found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Light might well be good, since it sprang from that fiat of goodness, let there be light. We who enjoy it should be more grateful for it than we are, and see more of God in it and by it. Light physical is said by Solomon to be sweet, but gospel light is infinitely more precious, for it reveals eternal things and ministers to our immortal natures. When the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual light and opens our eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we behold sin in its true colors, and ourselves in our real position. We see the most holy God as He reveals Himself, the plan of mercy as He propounds it, and the world to come as the Word describes it. Spiritual light has many beams and prismatic colors, but whether they be knowledge, joy, holiness, or life, all are divinely good. If the light received be thus good, what must the essential light be, and how glorious must be the place where He reveals Himself? O Lord, since light is so good, give us more of it, and more of Thyself, the true light. No sooner is there a good thing in the world than a division is necessary. Light and darkness have no communion. God has divided them. Let us not confound them. Sons of light must not have fellowship with deeds, doctrines, or deceits of darkness. The children of the day must be sober, honest, and bold in their Lord's work, leaving the works of darkness to those who shall dwell in it forever. Our churches should by discipline divide the light from the darkness, and we should by our distinct separation from the world do the same. In judgment, in action, in hearing, in teaching, in association, we must discern between the precious and the vile, and maintain the great distinction which the Lord made upon the world's first day. O Lord Jesus, be Thou our light throughout the whole of this day. For Thy light 
is the light of men. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian one he sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his As believers in Jesus Christ seek to witness to the unsaved, they are frequently met by a variety of questions. These might include such queries as, Why did Christ have to be God? Did God create evil? Or, How do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? Dr. Cairns answers these and many other questions on a DVD presentation called Q&A with Alan Cairns. In all, Dr. Cairns responded to over 50 such concerns. We're happy to be able to provide you, free of charge, a DVD containing all of these video portions, about five hours of guidance from God's Word for problems which face the 21st century Christian. You may have a copy simply by requesting it. Just ask for the DVD, Q&A with Alan Cairns. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. 
If you wish, you may write us at Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Here's an excellent way to provide scriptural answers to family and friends regarding the challenging questions facing believers in this day. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns commences a message dealing with Christ walking on the water, part of this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of Christ. The text is found in Matthew chapter 14, the scene immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. In a burst of excitement, the multitude wanted to make Christ king, but not according to the Lord's purpose. Dismissing the crowd, Jesus sent the disciples away by boat and went to pray by himself. In the darkness, the disciples encountered a powerful storm that seemed to threaten their lives. At this point, Christ came walking on the water and calmed their fears with those wonderful words, Fear not, it is I, be not afraid. Thank God he still comes to his people so in their time of need. Now Dr. Cairns brings the first portion of this message, Christ Walking on the Water. Now we're turning this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, continuing our studies in the life of Christ. We come to the most, one of the most familiar of all the events in the Savior's life. Verse 22, reading to the end of verse 33. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... Bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son 
of God. Amen. The Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Following the feeding of the 5,000 miraculously by the Lord Jesus Christ, we read in John chapter 6 that the Jews were seized with a powerful messianic fever and fervor. They determined to lay hold upon the Lord Jesus and to make him their king. That is a king after their own notion of what Messiah should be, not a king after the biblical definition of what Messiah should be. And therefore the Lord Jesus took immediate action to curb their desire. First, he sent his disciples away by sea, while he remained to disperse the crowd at least for a time, following which he retired to a mountainside where in solitude he spent the hours in prayer and in fellowship with his Father in heaven. From John's account of this event, it appears clear that Christ's reason for sending his disciples away by sea while he himself remained was because of this fervor or this fever that had gripped the Jews. It appears to me to indicate that the Lord Jesus saw that his disciples would have been in imminent danger of being sucked into this mood of the Jews and may themselves have become more of a hindrance to him than a help. So he sent them away. Another reason, obviously, for sending them away is that he foresaw and foreknew his program of evangelism that they couldn't. And so he got them on their way in a way that they could reach places they would not have done if they had simply stayed behind. But as they went, they launched, as they had done many, many, many times, onto the Sea of Galilee. And alone on the sea, that sea which is really barely worthy of the name of a sea, according to the standards of the world, it's a lake. It's called the Lake of Gennesaret as well. But it's 600 feet below the level of the Mediterranean. As you look at the mountains and hills around the, side, uh, around the sides of it, you'll see deep gouges of time and weather there that seem to act as funnels that bring the air down to cause mighty and unexpected and turbulent storms that whip that lake up into the frenzy of a most unfriendly sea. They were alone on the sea, and they ran afoul of bad weather. Now, for them, that was nothing new. At least the fishermen among them were used to the vagaries and the violence of the Sea of Galilee. So they manfully took to the oars and struck out for the shore. But this was a storm such as they had not rode in before. And if you follow carefully the details of the narratives in Matthew, Mark, and John, 
you'll find that after some nine hours of rowing, they managed to cover no more than three to three and a half miles. The scripture tells us they toiled in rowing. The word toiled hardly carries the force of the original. They were distressed in rowing. Campbell Morgan suggests that we would translate it, they were tormented in rowing. You see, these men whose arms were made brawny from years of rowing against the currents and the tides of the Sea of Galilee, reduced now to quivering hulks of flesh with their strength just about gone, tormented and distressed. Then Jesus came walking on the water. I want you to emphasize that. The Lord Jesus could just as well have stood on the shore and said, Peace be still, and there would have been a great calm, but he didn't do it. Indeed, the Lord Jesus could have ordered it so that there was no storm at all, but he didn't do it. He let them ride through the storm until they were brought to the very last ounce of their physical and mental energy. And then he came walking on the water. And amazingly, as Mark tells us, he did not walk to them, but he walked past them. And seeing him walk past, they cried out in fear because they thought they saw a spirit. And crying out in fear, it appears rather amazing that they were within an inch of death. The waves were battering their little bark. Their oars would make no further progress for them. Their strength was gone. Their minds were just about at the end of all hope and energy. Yet we don't read of any fear or any cries on that account. But they see a spirit. Strange, the, not only the fascination, but the fear that the supernatural invokes in men or evokes from them. So they cried out, and Jesus spoke. This is why we sang a new hymn this morning, There is no love like the love of Jesus. We'll see that as we proceed. But there is no voice like the voice of Jesus. And amidst the howling of the wind and the raging of the sea, there came with great clarity the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that calmed their fears, even though for the moment at his own sovereign will, it did not calm the waters. I want you to understand this. The waters were still raging. The storm was still howling. Their lives appeared still to be in imminent danger. But his voice said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Caught up in the storm, battered and afflicted, I am here. Therefore, be not afraid. 
Peter, as usual, the most daring, was willing to walk in the water to Christ rather than allow Christ to walk in the water to him. If it be thou, command and call me. And out he went over the side of the boat. I don't know how far he walked. I imagine it was some little distance. The Lord Jesus was not within three to six feet of the boat. I mean, the disciples were tired, but they weren't idiots. And they would no more have thought that it was a spirit and not Christ at all or no resemblance to Christ if he'd been right up beside them. Peter stepped over the side and he started to walk. Sure, he began belief. I'm always more than amazed at the preachers who find fault with Peter's unbelief. I'm not justifying it. But when I meet the preacher who would have been like Peter and not like the other 11 who sat in the boat, then I'll say, you have a, a right to criticize him. Peter stepped over the side and away he went. Then he realized what he was doing. I'm sure you've been in that situation without walking in water, but suddenly you realize what you're doing. I'll confess something now I didn't confess at the time. My young days, younger days, for I'm still only a kid, at least I act the goat now and again, uh, we weren't long here. We went up to Caesar's Head. Now they've got a, a metal fence there that you've got to climb over if you're going to be as daft as I was at that time, but they had no such metal fence. And there is this rock that goes out to a point right over clear air to trees hundreds of feet beneath, and I wanted to get out there and look over the edge. Now, I don't know that I have a head for heights particularly. I know my wife doesn't, so she was standing very safely yards and yards back, baying at me to be not such a fool. Uh, but I said, I want to get out here. And uh, I got right out, as far as two feet could go to the apex of that rock. And I looked down. Man, it was a long way down. Of course, I'm not going to admit that to anybody. But I got out there, and suddenly the thought came, what are you doing out here? <laughs> what on earth are you doing out here? I'm not a skydiver. I don't have a parachute. I don't even have a rope. What are you doing here? I think Peter felt that only a million times more than I could have felt it. Peter, what are you doing? I mean, this is crazy. You're walking on top of water. You can't be. And he begins to fear and go down and cries and the Lord lifts him and takes him into the boat. And once Peter and the Savior entered the boat, then there was a great calm. Now, the response of the disciples was immediate. Verse 33, we read this morning, They that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Can't we understand that response? Can we understand that that's surely what their hearts would outpour before the Savior, having seen what they just saw? But stop for a moment. They say this as if the light had just dawned on them. And that's the surprise. Because had not these very same disciples 
just a few hours before, stood on the shore, had they not watched him take five loaves, five little tiny loaves, and a couple of fish, and break, and in his hands create enough food to feed 5,000 men? Had they not themselves gone around those 5,000, giving the food, and then catching what remained into baskets, so that they transported with them 12 baskets of food that had been created in the hands of their Savior? They've seen it. But yet now they're saying, we worship you because thou art the Son of God, as if it were something new. Mark unlocks the mystery. In chapter 6, verse 51 and 52, we read of this part of the story. Verse 52 says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They considered not the miracle of the loaves, because their heart was hardened. And there is there a salutary lesson for you and me. Very often, we can be in the presence of our Savior doing great things for us. And yet we become used to the things of God, and our hearts are hardened. And if that sounds to you a little strange, just think of your own experience. How often has the Lord blessed you? In how many ways has the Lord blessed you? And yet, do you not have to struggle constantly against your heart being hardened because of the very familiarity of the things of God and the blessings of grace? Their heart was hardened. What they had seen in the feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle of creative power. And yet, they didn't stop to think of its implications. We too can think we see and know the works of God and the events of Scripture. But let me tell you, we really know nothing about them if we fail to grasp their witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. 
This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we let the Bible speak. (music) 